And I will be reading for you and preaching for you out of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through verse 22. Hear now the word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went out to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah has herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land that from which they had gone out, they would have they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we get to walk down this hall of faith. And as we look at each of these people, and we look at the lives of each of these people, Father, we see Jesus Christ. Help us now as we go through this hall and we look at it with more detail, at the wondrous things that you have done in the lives of your people. Help us to see Jesus more clearly. Draw us closer to him. And may we walk with him in faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I just mentioned in the prayer, we are continuing to go through a very popular passage 
called the Hall of Faith of Hebrews. Probably what Hebrews is known for, maybe more than just about anything else that this particular book is known for. And it is for good reason because it has this list of names. And it's a a wondrous thing that the Lord actually, he knows our names. And that he specifically, when he desires to have glory, he often goes through us, through his mankind, and names us and considers us individually. Here we have the patriarchs of the faith, but we also have this reminder that the Lord knows each and every one of us and is using us for the purposes of his overall glory. A couple of Sundays ago, I had named the title of the sermon. I didn't reference it, I don't think, in the sermon at all, but it's really more of a title of this particular whole chapter in my mind that faith is the assurance in God's action that bears forth our action. Here, as we go through this hall of faith, we are looking at the actions. We're looking at the verbs that follow the subjects of individual people, but it is pointing back to that assurance in God's action. That in every one of these situations, that when we see the action of the people, it's actually pointing back and constantly pointing back to the promises of God. It is not faith is the assurance in God action in our action. It's showing that our action is bearing forth from it. It comes from the very action of God and the God alone. And ultimately, we see here that for all of God's people, going all the way back into Genesis, it has been the power of Jesus Christ that is ultimately saving them and that gives them this faith. And their faith in the things that were of shadows of the shadows of the very Christ that I am speaking of. Last week we talked about the actions of Abel and the actions of Enoch and the actions of Noah. And again, how they pointed to that very centrality of Christ. We see that Abel offered a more pleasing sacrifice, which pointed to, again, that Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us draw near. Abel was able to draw near to God Because of that sacrifice that he offered was resting in something that was to come, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. It says that Enoch pleased God and walked with God. And we see that there was this life, this even this life that was connected to eternity because Enoch did not die. He was taken up with the father. That there is this walking with the Lord that pleases God. So therefore, let us hold fast without wavering like Enoch in that faithfulness that is ultimately coming from the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, last week, we talked about how Noah gathered by building an ark. He gathered his household and and gathered a, a portion of all of creation. And so therefore, we are called to gather, to stir up, one another, to stir up the people, the household of God, knowing that we have refuge from the judgment, but that as we are now those being assured in that refuge that is based on Jesus Christ, which is our ultimate ark, we are to call out to the world to come also and to be worshipers and be a part of that household because the day is coming where we will all be wrapped up and ended. There's many ways that this whole book can be titled, and I I came up with a sermon title for the whole book of Hebrews, and it's all in P's. And so, see if you can write along with me on here. Promise prompts piety in the propitiation. 
patience and perseverance in our pursuits, and proclamation and provocation among the people of God. And that's a lot. I'll send that to you in an email. And that was, I was trying to find another word other than piety. I don't typically like piety, but it is actually a very good word. It is this reverence in the propitiation, the reverence in the payment of our sins, the honor, the assurance, the hope, and the worship of God in what Jesus Christ did for us by paying for our sins on the cross. And it is something that we should take great reference in. We should be very pious in our posture toward God when it comes to what Jesus did by spilling his blood for us. And therefore, because of what Jesus has done and because he was faithful, we too can, with patience and perseverance, live out our pursuits for this kingdom in faithfulness. But we do not just stop there. It is not an individualistic faith in of itself. Even though we have our individual faith, it is also a calling for us in the proclamation and the provocation of the people of God. As we come together now in worship and as we go out into our communities and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and his blood spilt for sin. Today we're going to be focusing on the word foundations. We see here that the things that Abraham and Sarah and the others did was based upon the fact that they had a faith in something that had foundations that they could not see fully. The word that they have here, the Greek word for foundation, is, can be used both as a noun and a verb. It's a very interesting word. We see that it is something that is a thing, that it is an establishment, but it is also the establishing. And so when we think about how God's action promotes and provokes our action, that it is an active noun in very many sense of the word. is that it's not just something that happened that we are rooted in, but it is something that is living in us as we are the body of Christ. We are the dwelling place. Of Jesus Christ. And so it is still active, even though it is centered in Christ, it is being manifested in an active way in us. When we go back to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, we see this reference to foundation when it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. And a faith toward God. It's saying there that it's time for us to grow up and move on. Not to leave the foundations, but because we have the foundation of Jesus Christ, we should have it being manifested in us. We don't need to look for another foundation. We don't need to look for another Savior. We don't need another Messiah. We have the foundation in Jesus Christ. And therefore, it should spring up the body of Christ in our life. We also see Jesus Christ telling us what will happen if we are rooted in that foundation in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words does them. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. 
Jesus says the evidence of being built upon the foundation, the rock of him, is that there will be those who will follow his words. That they will take refuge in that foundation and also build a life of his kingdom. So we have this, these foundations that we see that Abraham was seeking a city that had true foundations. Wasn't looking for things that were going to pass away. If you think about it, every structure that is built today is built since the flood. At one time when the flood came, it completely resurfaced the whole earth. Moved everything around. There is no structure standing that was built before the flood. And when God's judgment came, it all went away. Whatever foundation they built was only a temporary foundation and is gone. And so everything that we have here today, no matter how deep you dig and no matter how big of a footer you have, one day these things will pass away. But Abraham was looking for a city that foundations, that had true foundations, not temporal, that is ultimately just going to be a part of the soil, but something that's eternal, And that is where we are to be. And so therefore we can with confidence and assurance live with perseverance that we are a dwelling place, an eternal dwelling place for God's dwelling built on Jesus Christ. John Calvin comments that the church is rightly built only, quote, when Christ alone is set forth for righteousness, redemption, sanctification, wisdom, satisfaction, in cleansing, in short, for life and glory. It is the centrality of Jesus Christ that all these things come. And so therefore, for all these things to exist, it must be in Jesus Christ. So here we now encounter Abraham, who by faith obeyed. We will hear in this particular moment of this section of the Hall of Faith, see the life of Abraham in five different places. We'll see his departure from one thing, the things that he had known, to move toward promise. So we see the departure of Abraham. We will also see how he sojourns along with his sons and his family to trust in those same promises because they also were participants and heirs of that promise. We will see the conception. A miraculous conception through Sarah of the seed of promise that would come. That where we will find a continual line that will lead us all the way to Jesus Christ. We also see death. We see what faith they had knowing that they are going to die in that particular faith. And we too have this encouragement that as we are living now that we too will know that we will die in faith and that we will have not have accomplished and seen the fullness of those promises complete that God has given, but that we are looking forward to something beyond death in the resurrection, which is the fifth thing that we see that that Abraham was hoping in, as even though he did not know Jesus' name, that he was considering and trusting that God could raise up even Isaac, If he killed them right then and there, he trusted in the resurrection power of God. I am still very more confident every time that I look at each chapter that the breakdown that we see in chapter 4 and in chapter 10 of Hebrews of those three let us's are still continual 
um, points of the sermon that we see here in the book of Hebrews. And again, we'll see this here as there's three different kind of components as we go through this hall of faith. But it starts, instead of starting with let us draw near, it actually is starting out with let us hold fast our confession without wavering because we see that it says by faith that Abraham obeyed. That when we think about faith and we think about the very promises of the beginning of the, of the covenant that was established with Abraham, that his response to that covenant that God established with him was obedience, that Abraham obeyed. God made the promises. God established the foundations for it. He's the one who says, I will be your God. You will be my people. It wasn't something that was created by Abraham, but his response to the action that God was doing in his covenant with his people was that Abraham obeyed and that he was called to go out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And I, and I love and I wonder, I, I don't want to imply that the writer of Hebrews was trying to be funny here, but I, I, I kind of almost feel like there is some kind of humor here. He says he went out not knowing where he was going. There's kind of a humor in that. I kind of joked with Dave when he walked in this morning because the last time I saw him, he was, he was a little off on his time, you know, because he's been traveling all over the place. And, and I said, do you know where you are and what time it is? And it's a funny thing for us because I think a lot of times we don't know what's going on. <laughs> I feel that very often. I felt that way a lot this past week. Like, what is going on? Where am I right now? And what's going to happen? That's the kind of life that we live in trusting in God. We think sometimes we have control. We have our plans and we have our destinations in place. For the Lord often will knock our feet out from under us or he'll twirl us around. And like vertigo, we won't know which way is up and which way is down because we have to just hold on tight to the Lord. Here, Abraham was told that he had an inheritance and a land, and he didn't even really know for sure what all that meant. But he trusted the Lord. We too are in that kind of position in many ways, even though we have much more than Abraham has when it comes to the revelation of Jesus Christ and his full revelation. Abraham did not have the fullness like we have today in the, the history of God working for 2,000 years in his church. We still know that after we die, we're not really quite sure exactly how things are going to lay out. We know that we're going to be with the Lord. We trust in that it's going to be good, that there's going to be the removal of pain and suffering and sin. And we know that we're going to be praising the Lord, but we don't know, like, what's the calendar look like? I was talking to the Edwards about just how busy things are, and we were talking about our schedule and in our prayer today with Richard, just we got it all laid out. We got it all figured out what we're doing for the next few weeks, right? We got all these events and different things going on. But when we get in heaven, it's like, what's the calendar look like? We don't really know where we're going. We know that we're going to be with the Lord and we're trusting him in faith, very much like Abraham. Because we, just like it says here, that Abraham, by faith, he lived in promise. Seeking the land of promise, looking forward to the city that had true foundations. We we're reminded here that this particular place that we're going is designed and built by God. He has his own calendar. He knows what, he knows what the calendar looks like. And we're trusting him. We are not able to see. We can see Jesus here in his word. And we trust in that foundation, but we don't know what the fullness of that's going to look like in the end. 
So there's this continual sense, just like Abraham had, that there's something coming. Just like we know that Noah had, there was something coming. We are still waiting, and every time that we see these little sections, there's an end there that as the day is coming, there is going to be a time when things are wrapped up. And so we, too, need to have our hope in those same foundations. I like this next one here, that by faith, Sarah received power. That because she trusted in the Lord, she trusted in the one who was faithful, that the one who gave the promise was faithful, that she actually received a power, a miraculous power to conceive, to be a participant of the fulfillment of that promise. When odds were totally against it, she was past the age of conception. And then we see here that there's a shadow of the great immaculate conception of Jesus Christ. That things that are impossible with man that God can do and does do and has done and will continue to do. This is to remind us of Jesus Christ. But it is also to remind us that as we are the body of Christ, that we too, by faith, receive power to bear forth the continuation of his kingdom. To bear forth the fulfillment of the promises of what the church is called to do. We are active members of miraculous fulfillment. God is using his people to build his kingdom. But it's his power. And he grants it to us as a gift. Because by faith, she considered him faithful. Even though we are seeing here the faith of individuals, it's always going back and being rooted in the faithfulness of God. It's always in contrast to our weakness. We see that Sarah is weak because she is past the age of conception. But then I really like it. Here's the other point that I think that there's got to be some humor here. But then it references Abraham. It doesn't have to say this, but it says by one man who was as good as dead. I love that term. I don't know if it was meant to be funny back then, but it's funny now. And we we think about, well, man, he's as good as dead. You know, like this person, sometimes we think about it when somebody's not working very hard. He's like a dead person. Or we're reminded of a particular movie that my kids know way too many of the quotes of. Is that he's mostly dead. You know, he's like, there's just not much there. (laughs) Abraham's participation in what was going to happen was absent (laughs) in the sense of his own strength. He was as good as dead when he was able to bear forth the descendants that would be the furthering of the kingdom. It meant that this is God's faithfulness and his fulfillment. And in many ways, it reflects even our own state before our own salvation. We were dead. Even though our bodies were not dead, even though we... Those before we come to him or even in our own strength, we are ultimately dead in sin. We are as good as those who are going to be the recipients of final judgment apart from God. But God, because of his faithfulness and because of his promises, he brings forth the ultimate descendant, which is Jesus Christ, who will save his people By faith, they died not receiving the promises. And I stopped and I dwelled upon that a bit as I was reading this chapter that the not receiving part is a part of that faith. 
There are a lot of things that we are called to do as Christians, a lot of things that we're called to do as Christian parents and Christian spouses and Christian brothers and sisters and Christian people in the community that we will not get to see. There are things that we are actively involved in that we might not be able to see its ultimate fulfillment. We're having to do work for the kingdom that we may never actually get to enjoy to see with our own living eyes. And we have to live in that way, knowing that we will die with that out and complete. And we are trusting that God will continue on. I asked my children last night, what would you do if I died? And it was kind of a morbid kind of conversation there at the dinner table. They kind of like, Dad, we don't want to talk about this. That was encouraging. I'm glad they weren't like, all oh, right, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> Let's talk about that. What am I going to get out of this? But I was saying, what's going to, how are you going to continue on? What kind of things are going to happen after, you know, after everything's settled, I'm buried and, you know, done and gone and, you know, the insurance is covering the cost of the house and everything. It's like, what, what's, going to, what's it going to look like? What my hope is, is the Lord's going to continue to, to live out in their life and to continue to use them and to build them and, and on and on and on and use them in the community even beyond their own lives. By faith, they died not receiving the promise. They were not able to get to that land. They did not see the fulfillment of the Messiah. They were hoping in something that was fully in shadows. And we too, even though we have so much more, we are still in that sojourning stage waiting for the completion of the things that were promised. It says, by faith, they saw the promise and greeted the promise from afar, even though they were not going to be able to receive the full fulfillment in their own lifetime, they still saw it. And we even can see it more. We have the opportunities. We have spectacles clearly pointing to Christ and even his word, talking about things to come that are much more clear. You know, Abraham was more like this, and now we have this. We can see the things that were a blur. But even still, there are things that are so far away that are still a blur, but we can still greet them based upon the things that we are instructed in. And that's why we're here now. We can see clearly now this table, which is a representation of what occurred even in the Passover and what occurred at the Lord's table, but what will occur at the final consummation marriage feast. It's clear in our vision here, but it's still blurry. We're wondering what that's going to be like. What's it going to be like to be at that table together? We get to see it from afar. We get to greet it and participate it together from afar and have a participation in it together. That's why it's so important for us to gather together because that is our eternal calling is to be together in worship and feasting with the Lord. So we greet that promise from afar even now in our worship of God together. As we go further, we see that by faith, that they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles. Their confession was built upon the fact that the things that they see here and now is temporary. That we are strangers and exiles. That's our calling right now, is to be strangers and exiles in this land. We don't want to get too comfortable with this that you see here today. 
It's all going away. We need to understand that we are going through a foreign land and that we are strangers and exiles waiting for a better city, a better country. And this is our confession. The word acknowledged there is synonymous with confession. They are holding fast their confession without wavering. They are doing it in obedience. They're trusting. They're moving forward. They're greeting the promises together, trusting the Lord, obeying the word, trying to do what Jesus says. As if we say, Lord, Lord, and not do what he does or tells us to do, then we're ultimately a liar. But we want to be those who are participating in that greeting of the promises. It says, by faith, they desired a better country, a city, reminded of Hebrews 9.11, not made with hands. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. We see here this reminder to us, even as it says to them, that they could have gone back from the land in which Abraham came from. They could turn around and abandon the faith, abandon the journey, abandon the calling and the promises and the inheritance. They didn't consider that, though, as an option. They didn't consider that they wanted to go back. And we, too, we need to understand and know whether or not do we really want what's here or we want what's to come. What are you looking forward to? Are you wanting to be too comfortable here? Do you want to just go ahead and just assume that all of your hope and your foundation is built here in this soil, this shallow soil that is not eternal? We are reminded by Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 14, 26 through 30, that our desire for the foundations of Jesus Christ should be so great that it should almost look like we hate everything else. Now, Jesus was using the extreme language. We know in the context of the whole scripture that he's not telling us to hate one another. This is the very opposite of what we're called to do as Christians. But the contrast of our desire for that better country should almost look like, if you compare the two, that our increase of desire for what's to come is so great that it says that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, was not able, but not able to finish. It leaves you with the question, what is your foundation? A lot of us want to say our foundation is Jesus Christ. And we're pointing to Jesus Christ and say, this is the real foundation. But we spend all of our time building a structure on temporal soil. Jesus reminds us that if we are in love with that temporal soil, which can be embodied in our own family life, and our own life temporal 
that that actually becomes more important to us, that we're not actually being his disciples. We're standing over here in this structure, living and pointing to that foundation, saying, oh, it's over here. But when you dig down into the soil, it's not. And it says that that particular foundation will not be able to finish and will actually be mocked. There's a house next to the wheelers that started to be built and it, Stopped, And it was happening during the time that I was building my house. And, and they put a pause on it. I don't know if you heard the history about that. And then they had to come back and they, they got it going again. And it scared me to death. I thought about that particular passage is that I started building my house because I was going back and forth and driving around and doing all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, it was daunting. I would drive by there at night and I would just see the shadow of this house that wasn't complete. And I'm thinking, that's going to be me. People are going to mock me. I'm going to run out of money before I build this house. I'm not going to be able to complete it. Well, thankfully, they were able to finish that house, and it turned out to be a pretty nice house next door to them. And I was able to finish mine. But we, as a church, if we stand here and say that Jesus is our foundation, it will begin to become evident in time if we're unable to complete it, or it will not look like Jesus as that structure takes shape. So the question that you need to ask yourself, what is your foundation? What is your ultimate hope? It always goes back to that first one. It tells us to let us draw near, but what are you wanting to draw near to? Are you delighting in drawing near to God? Or are you delighting in what you have here on this earth? But as we go to the next step here with Abraham, it says that by faith Abraham offered up Isaac. It goes back to that first one for us to to draw near that Abraham was commanded to to present a sacrifice. His only son. The the actual, the hope of redemption to actually kill him. And And it shows that it was extremely confusing because it says that he was in the middle of doing that. He was going to do what God told him to do, but he couldn't understand it. But he was realizing that, but God can raise him up. And so he would do it anyway. He was presenting a sacrifice that is truly representing the Son of God. And therefore, he was hoping in the power of God. And because of that, he was able to draw near to God. Because he was trusting in the offering that God delighted in, just like Abel did. But even just like the blood of Abel, and even just like if even Isaac was killed, there was a greater blood that it was pointing to, which was the blood of Jesus Christ. And he was considering. This is something that we should be amazed at, that he, he saw that inside of that, even though in a shadow, he's like, well, at least I know that God can raise him up and I can receive him back. And it says in a in a figure of speech, it, it, he did. He was able, and figuratively, he was able to have his son back. He was able to see this sense of resurrection in this calling that he was given. We see that this is the center point. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22, reminds us of what we are able to be called because of this. We are no longer strangers and aliens But we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And whom the whole structure being joined together 
grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, the reason why Abraham's hope was in a country that was better, in a city that was better, was because the foundations were ultimately this foundation that we get to see with clear spectacles, which is Jesus Christ himself. And so what are we to do with that? If we are identified now as the household of God, if we are the dwelling place, if we are on that foundation, if we are telling the truth, if we are those who say, Lord, Lord, and we say, no, Jesus really is our foundation, then we see here the examples of what that is like. Because it says in the next section, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings. What that means is that he was considering what is to come. He was considering the broader. It wasn't just him. It wasn't just Isaac. He was realizing that God is building a kingdom. He is building a people. And so he invoked that blessing upon Jacob and Esau. And then with Jacob, he blessed the sons, even when he was dying, realizing that just like I was saying a moment ago, that there's faith even in our dying and trusting in what is to come. He puts a blessing upon, realizing again, God is going to fulfill his purposes corporately through his people. And in that time, it was going to be where he was going to fulfill the Messiah. But for us, it is going to be what is going to fulfill the body of Christ and its fullness, the kingdom of God. So we too, unless something happens sooner than later, and it sometimes feels like, I think we're Americans too much, where we think everything's falling apart, so we think Jesus is coming tomorrow, and he might. But we're likely, some of us older folks are likely going to check out before that time happens. But we will hope in what the Lord is going to continue to do in the church and grow the church even in what seems to be a future time of persecution for Christian Americans. Then it says, by faith, Joseph made mention. Man, I hate to be critical of the English translation of the Bible. But that just seems a little light. I, want to, I think the word better there is proclamation of the exodus of the Israelite. Like, oh, oh yeah, there's going to be an exodus one day, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just the way I interpret the English, you know, that, that, that Joseph made mention, that it, he just kind of on the side said, no, he proclaimed the exodus of the Israelites. And he gave directions concerning his bones. He reminded them that this is all very temporal. <laughs> that there's going to be an exodus. That they're no longer going to be left in captivity. They're no longer going to be foreigners. They're going to no longer be strangers and aliens. But there is an exodus coming. And he says, be ready to pack up my bones (laughs) and take them with you when we leave. Again, a shadow. We have so much more. We can see how that is an analogy and a representation. It's a real thing. They were going to pick up his bones, and they did. And they moved on to the promised land, but that was even a temporal land then. We know that our bodies are going to be restored and renewed and redone. And we're going to go to that full in complete promised land. And so our job, when we consider letting us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, is to consider that corporate act that we are in, in the body of Christ, 
that corporate blessing that we have together, that, that, e- that eternalness of our confession as a church that we'll, we'll live on as a people forever, that if we do check out before some of you, we will be reunited in the end as his church triumphant. We are his church militant now, but we will be the church triumphant eternally together. This is pointing ultimately to the fulfillment of our salvation in our final gathering. And we are reminded once again that the day is coming. We see in Genesis chapter 50, when Joseph made this mention, it's the end of the book of Genesis. Jennifer read it this morning in a very timely way. Or yesterday morning, or it was this morning, wasn't it? Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land into the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. You get what he did there? He says, I'm about to die and God will visit you. And then he made the others say it also as well. Repeat this confession with me, just like we do our confession together. Let's say it together that God will surely visit you and he will take us up from here. That is what we confess. That's what we confess today in the Nicene Creed, that we believe in the resurrection and his return and completion. And so what are we left with? We're left with 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 9 through 15. I encourage you to turn over there as I close and read it with me. It says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are his field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each of one of you take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I was kind of unsure whether I should bring this in. I remember, though, that a couple years ago, Knox and I visited the Ground Zero site where there's a museum there now where the Twin Towers were, and the buildings were gone. I remember seeing those buildings. I remember being on top of the buildings, and I remember laying in between the buildings and looking up at them and And now all that's left is a foundation. You can go down in the museum. The museum is ultimately in the foundations. There's fountains that are above the foundations. The foundations are still surviving. Here we see this calling to us to to remind us who we are and that we are his building, that we we are being built on that foundation. But the foundation is going to last eternally. But what is your work doing now? So the first question is, what is your foundation? What is your assurance and your hope? And if your assurance and hope truly is on that foundation, then let it be that your work 
will be the things that are based upon eternal hope. It should be. I think it does give some sort of hope here that there can be some of us that we are trusting in the Lord, but in our weakness, our work is still confused and it will all pass away. Let it be that it is not us that is like that, that that we will be building on a foundation that maybe we will have at least the grace that we will survive in the hope of the foundation of Jesus Christ. Even if our work is not reflecting it, it's showing a very powerful hope that Jesus will still save those even who are weak in that. But may it be that we're not wasting our time, but that we are building our lives in things that will be eternal, that our focus and our hope is based upon the things that are in our confession. And may we live continually going back and being drawn near to God and trusting in that hope that is the hope that all of God's people have ultimately always hoped in, just that we get to see clearly Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Let us continue to walk in that in faithfulness together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray.